All right, Andy. Is the IRS 501c3 determination letter sufficient for tax-exempt purchases, or is the Secretary of State tax-exempt letter necessary? There's apples and oranges here. So the IRS 501c3 determination letter, and they don't give you letters anymore, right? They they just, it's part of your 990. As you put the 990 together, once it comes out, you get to the end of it, and you decide what what bucket you end up in. And so we're talking about a 501c3. Oh, I don't think everybody knew that. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. They, they stopped with the letters a while ago. They'll send you, oh. they send you an initial letter that says, congratulations, we've approved your application. Everything looks good. Um, but then from that point on, you've got five years to sort of oh, right. prove out okay. what section of the 990 you're in, you know, what section. So it's the 170s, right? Um, and so, so that's the thing. And that, that confuses people too about what, you know, what your determination letter is because the original one says it's, it's just you're waiting. Right. And then from that point on, it's the 990. And I'd say probably 90% of funders or people asking for money have no idea that that changed yeah. in 1996. No. So um, so that's that's part of it. But so what that does is that makes you so that you do not have to pay federal taxes on the difference between your revenues and your expenses. So at the end of every year, you have some revenues and you have some expenses. If the revenues are higher than expenses, that's typically called profit. And for every business that isn't a tax-deductible 501c3, that profit you end up paying taxes on. So you pay taxes to the state, you pay taxes to the federal government. What the 501c3 does is says you don't have to pay federal taxes. That's all it is. You don't have to pay federal taxes on profit as a nonprofit. Confusing, right? Yeah. That has nothing to do with sales tax. Sales tax is a completely different animal. In Nevada, you have to apply. So you apply to get your sales tax exemption. And the rules for getting your 501c3 and the rules for getting your state tax sales tax exemption are completely different. They do not correspond. So you have to. They're not interconnected. They're not interconnected. Yeah, you don't automatically get it. You have to apply. So number one, you have to apply. It's a different process. Number two, just because your 501c3 doesn't mean that you're you're you don't have to pay sales tax on things. Um, So that's so those two things are totally different. And I think that answers the question. And I think you know what I what I hope is that um, the person who asked this because I I've seen a lot of organizations struggle with this where they think, you know, it's all a bunch of paperwork and they just think, oh yeah, that, you know, they don't understand the difference. And so they go to an office supply store and they bring their 501c3 letter and the office supply store is like, no, this, like, this means nothing to us, right? Like you're, you're trying to purchase all these office supplies. We need your state sales tax exempt letter, right? So, so making sure, and I don't think enough organizations, I see organizations do this all the time. I'm not sure about you, especially smaller ones that don't even think about the fact that they don't have to pay sales tax if they do have that that, you know, sales tax exemption. And that always makes me nervous because it's like, oh my gosh, you don't need to be, you know, spending that extra money. So like have that puppy readily available when you're going out to make purchases. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's a card and even, even with it, some, I mean, it depends on who you're talking to at the store, right? Some people have no idea what you're talking about and they make you pay sales tax anyway, and then you can deal with it later. Um, Some places like big or big places have like a SEP or a card that you need to do. So you don't bring that piece of paper with you every time they make you get a card for the organization for that particular vendor. Um, and then you bring that card in. Um, and another thing, this isn't the question, but some something that everybody needs to think about too, is if you have property, if your organization buys property, you can get exemptions from property taxes, but it's not retroactive. So you have to do it when you buy the property. And I've seen tons of organizations. Ooh. I look at their 990s and there's a line for property tax. And I said, what are you doing? Uh-oh. You don't have to pay property tax. But you, if you didn't get that, 
um, exemption when you purchase the property, you screwed up and there's no way to go back and get it later. Oh, so boy. just just throw that one in there uh, for a yeah, just, just to a complicate bonus. things further. <laughs> Woohoo. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit with your host, Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Um, one of the things I've never really done, I don't think, is introduced to Stacey. So Stacy is the, what are you, the owner? What do you uh, call whatever, yourself? I don't know. Call me whatever. Chief bottle wa- cook and bottle washer. <laughs> I don't know. Of professionals in philanthropy. And we're delighted to have Stacy with us. She um, provides tons of amazing information, as you know, if you've been a longtime podcast listener. But well, and Andy likes to disagree with me, right? Yeah. Like well, to disagree with me sometimes. I, I, think, yeah. I think we make a pretty good team. I think we do. I think we see things from different perspectives. And if we, if we like, agreed on everything, the podcast might be even more boring than it boring. is. Boring. <laughs> Plus, we like to have fun. But thanks for joining us. So the way this works is you guys send us questions. You guys, you all people, anybody, doesn't have to be guys. Um, send us questions, and Stace and I will answer them. If we don't know the answers, we will rope in a guest expert to try to answer those questions. And the questions can be about anything, preferably non-profit questions, uh, because those that's kind of what we know the most about. <laughs> and that's kind of the purpose of the podcast, which is presented by the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, which is the State Association of Nonprofits for Nevada. And if you want to support the podcast, there are some great ways to do that. Number one, you can subscribe. That's the easiest. That way it shows up in your podcast app every, every other Wednesday. There is a brand new episode, and so it'll just pop up ready to listen to. You can also join the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, which is a really good way to support the podcast. So you get all of the bem- and in addition to supporting the podcast you get all of the benefits of being a member of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits Today's episode is sponsored by Brenda J Stout CPA a full service accounting firm specializing in nonprofit tax compliance and IRS problem resolution find out more at brendastoutcpa.com or check the nonprofit everything show notes for contact information thank you Brenda J Stout CPA thank you Brenda board where a group of high-powered and high-drama ladies run the annual fundraising gala. These ladies seem to control everything, and in my opinion, we have the tail wagging the dog. Our ED is about to leave because she doesn't have a board chair that will stand up to them. We have added more professionals to the committee to try to change the culture, but it's not working yet. Is it a lost cause? Um, oh, Andy, I don't maybe. know about you, but I'm sort of, yeah, Ugh. furrowing my brows, cringing. It just this feels so familiar, though, oh, doesn't it? It does. It happens too often. It's like the because you're you're stuck, especially because. So so the thing that concerns me about the question is that that the ED doesn't have a board chair that stands yes. up to the committee that's running the annual. Yes. Villa. Um, that and, screams yeah. problem. And and tail wagging the dog is a really good way to describe it too. Because and you we've seen organizations like oh, this, yeah. haven't we? Where where the it seems seems like the the purpose of the organization isn't whatever its mission is, but it's to have a party. Yeah. And the party is the most important thing, and so that's what everybody gravitates to. I think I think the way you fix this, and I'd love to hear mm. Stacy's opinion on this too. I, I think the way that you fix this is to figure out what to do instead of a gala. So 
So if, if the reason that you're allowing these people to do it, the reason that the ED isn't, the ED and the board chair don't have enough juice to be able to say to these ladies, um, stand down. Um, we need, we need to, we need to do these things differently. And this is why, um, it's probably because the gala brings in a ton of money. Yeah. Right. And because otherwise, why would you put up with it? If it's, if it's, if it's a dog and like nobody goes and it's not very much fun, no one would care. You're like, yeah, you guys go ahead and do that. Like, but it's, it seems like it's taken all the air out of the room. And the reason is, it's probably because it brings in a ton of money. So, so you need to make sure that you figured out like what you're going to do to replace that. Like the, what, where the revenue is going to come from if that gala event ceases to exist. Because, because the other dangerous piece of this is that, you know, these sort of high powered, high drama ladies running the fundraising gala, like they're, I'm, I'm guessing that they're going to burn out on it eventually. And there goes your big revenue source, if that's the big revenue source that you got coming in. Um, So, so, you know, from a, you know, it's, I don't know if it's sneaky or if it's just like, if, if the ED can't fix it and the board chair can't fix it um, and, and the organization is worth saving um, then, then it's time to sort of pivot away from giant gala fundraising and let this be less important to you. So, because if, if the organization isn't focused on, if it's just something that happens, you know, Oh, and there's the gala. Right. Event and, and you right. know, we don't, Because the ED has control over it. The ED can decide not to assign any staff to it at all. They can write it out of the budget. Right. The next budget comes along and they're like, you know, it, you know, we looked at this and as we ran all the numbers, we realized that, that it was actually costing us a lot more money than we thought it was. And I mean, seriously, run the numbers on any gala oh, and yeah. you can, you and can it, make that argument. You can. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I'm sort of, I'm listening to you because I, I wouldn't have answered it. We, well, I, yeah, no, <laughs> I I'm listening it. and I don't, I don't disagree theoretically, but I, I guess what's bothering me. So, so yes, I am incredibly bothered by a board chair that won't have that conversation. And that sort of begs the question long-term of how do you either build up that board chair so they can have those difficult conversations? Cause that is what a board chair as a leader needs to do for the organization, yep. or you need to get a new board chair. So at some point, so I think that is one longer term thing this organization needs to deal with. I guess the second thing that I'm thinking about is guess what these, these people on this committee, I'm assuming um, they are, maybe it's, this isn't a fair assumption. I'm assuming they're volunteers and not board members. And guess what? You can invite volunteers to leave, right? But I think you first, I mean, you can tell them you're booted off. Guess what? We're firing you volunteer. Now, nobody wants to, I get that people are probably listening to this going, but they're high powered, high drama ladies. I don't think that's the first step. I think the first step is sort of having that conversation with them, which it sounds like no one's willing to do. And including the person who wrote this question says, I am on a board where, but I want to know about the person writing the question. Like, if the board chair won't do it, then why not? Why, why, why aren't you, why are you allowing it either as a board member? Like somebody has got to, and it doesn't happen publicly, right? You take these ladies aside in an ideal world, executive director, board chair, or board member goes and takes these ladies to coffee, says, we appreciate your contribution, but you know, that this is unex- like this, this behavior we think is, is not helping outcomes and there's a lot of divides. So can, can, are you okay? Like, it, can we shift that? Or do you, is this just not a good fit anymore? Whatever. Like, I think there's a sort of warning step that needs to happen before you just fire. But to me, it's like, someone's got to have this conversation. Everyone's. And so my problem, Andy, with what you're saying, I mean, I fundamentally agree there's too many galas and probably the gala doesn't need to exist. But my problem with what you're saying is it feels like it's a way to avoid like 
to skirt around an issue instead of handling it directly. Like to me, somebody has got to handle this directly and and give them a warning and ask them, you know, and then see if they can get them on board or like have some kind of routine that at the beginning of a committee year, like a new committee year, you sit there and say, hey, we're doing this new thing with all our committees where we're sort of setting some kind of ground rules and rules of engagement of how we as a committee engage at meetings and between meetings. So let's come up with that together as a group. And then as a group, they create this and then they have something that they can each hold each other accountable. So there's like, I think there's Things that can be done that that don't mean throwing out the gala, the you know the gala. And I I don't know. I mean maybe the gala does need to be thrown out. But I'm worried about just the lack of why are why are we scared in the sector to have these conversations? Right? It's hurting everybody, and it's hurting. Now you brought all these new professionals onto this committee. They've got to be rolling their eyes and saying mm-hmm. this is the biggest pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't want to deal with these women. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think, I think you're onto something there because the, like the, I mean, and I think probably what I was thinking too is, is what is the, what, is there a process way that you can fix this that doesn't turn into a personality way? Right. 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 And so, so I think, but I think we're kind of saying the same thing. Like my process way is like sneaky and underhanded (laughs) and and your process way is like, let's be direct, (laughs) which I think is, which I think is probably a smarter decision. Um, But, but yeah, what is the way? Like, do you need to change the committee structure? Like, how does that, like, how do the decisions, I think is what you're saying, how yeah. do the decisions on the gala committee get made? Right. And and do we need to codify that and make sure that that everybody gets a voice and it's not just like, you know, the people that are the loudest and have been there the longest are yeah. the ones that get to decide everything. Exactly. Because if you can come up, because, and I think, you know, the fact that you're on the board too, like, you know, I'm on the board where, like, it's, it is your responsibility is. to like, is be backup for the board chair right. and, and to come, you know, find other members on the board that feel the same way you do and then enact a change. Exactly. Yeah. grant writing for my nonprofit. And there's a question that always frustrates me. It's the sustainability question where the funder asks what you'll do if you don't get their funding or or what you're going to do beyond the grant. Do you have any good suggestions about how to handle this question? Mm, I hate that question too. I hate both of those questions. I always, it always bugs me when I see them because I'm always trying to get into the mind of the person that's put the grant request together, like who's put the application together. Yes. So I'm trying to figure out, so what, what I, what I what, assume they're saying. And don't you think everyone is saying the same thing when they answer this question? Like, I mean, I just feel like it's kind of a no brainer. Well, we fundraise. Well, we. Yeah. And, and well, you're also trying to sort of guess what they want to hear because yeah. in some cases, so there, there's. There are big funders that like to only fund things that are game-changing initiatives or something that's a brand new program, and they they're throwing big money at it. And so, a lot sometimes the true answer, and to answer the question, just put what the true answer is. Yes. Like like just just answer honestly. If if in some cases, like you're going to a funder and you're asking them for money to build a giant new building, and it wasn't really in your plan, but that's kind of what they want to fund. And it would help. And, you know, you're just kind of shooting it out there. Like it might be legitimately okay to say, if we don't get this funding, we're not going to build the building, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to redeploy our existing fundraising streams to try to cover this thing, which is totally not a hundred percent necessary for us. 
Um, but in, in other cases, you know, in, in something, you know, because you see it like in the CDBG grant, right? Yes. Where the, they'll say something like one of the questions that always shows up on that is exactly that. So like, if we don't, if you don't get the funding from us, how are you going to do this program? And the answer is exactly what you just said. We're going to pay for it out of our other fundraising. Right. Right. Like you're not special. It feels like such an, it feels like an insidious question. Like it feels like there's a no win answer to this question. Right. That's why why people hate it. Right. Yes. Yes. It's so frustrating. So, um, yeah, because if you sit there and say, oh, we have so much money that really it's not a big deal at all if we you don't, don't get our you. money. Well, OK, that doesn't make the funder feel special. And then, oh, or it's not going to happen without you. Well, then that makes it you feel a little like it's a little bit of desperation. And is that good business sense? So, yeah, it's a tough question. But so. So, OK, so since you're you're more connected with the funders on this one, like tell me, tell me what what are these thinking when they're asking this question? What is what? Why does a funder put this question on there? I I honestly think it is about, it, there's a couple of things here, right? They as a funder need to, whether it's check their boxes or just feel good about their investment, like someone, this is a good, wise, sound decision. And I think, to be honest with you, a lot of times, depending on who the funder is, but let's say, for example, in a corporate you know, situation, right? Where you have maybe a mid-level manager or someone that is not high up that may be making, helping influence some of these decisions. They need to kind of protect themselves with an answer that is, yes, this person, like, look, they said, even though they really bombed on this grant, but look what they put here. So I think some of it is just box checking, which, which sounds probably really you know, yucky. But the other thing is, I think it's about just like, how do we make sure that this organization or this program isn't just like a fly by night and that they actually really care enough about this that they're putting like, I think there's also that layer, like, do they care enough about this program or this request that they are putting thought, a plan and resources behind it, that this isn't just uh, I've pulled this, you know, out of the air because I want to get your money funders. So I think that is like a really underlying piece of it, too. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it comes down to the like agency theory problems where you, as a funder, you're granting them the money. So you don't really get to get it back. So right. once it goes, it's gone. And so you want to make sure that you're deploying those funds in the best possible way. And one of the ways that you're doing that is by like asking, like, if we're, if we do this and we give you this money, is it just, you're going to spend it and it's going to go away or is it going to have some sort of long-term impact? Because they want the money to be, I mean, in an ideal situation, you'd think that they'd want the money to be some some kind of seed that grows into something amazing and can solve, can solve a particular problem. And I think sometimes sustainability, that this kind of question leads us right to money, right? And money is a piece of this question and absolutely has to be addressed. So that's where I think you get the opportunity when you're answering this to talk about what your fundraise, you know, oh, we have a development team or we have an active fundraising board or whatever that looks like, right? You know, something that you can say, and here's the way we generate different monies. And if you have some kind of earned income revenue source, great, like plug that in here, right? Because that helps sort of round out that diversification of revenue sort of piece of it. But I also think you get the chance to talk about um, the the human sustained, like the, 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 human piece of this, right? So who are the people delivering these programs and um, what is their expertise and how are they staying innovative and sort of, you know, a, a kind of ahead of the curve on new program developments to make sure this, this program develops over time with 
the needs of the clients. So I think there's ways to also take this beyond just, I mean, financial is a piece of it. And let's be honest, that's definitely what funders are looking for. But I think there's also a way to say, hey, here's how else we're sustainable. We have like a pool, you know, a a pool of 10 volunteers that at any given moment help you know, deliver this program and with they're all trained and blah, blah, blah. Like there's another story to share there too, that makes it beyond just financial sustainability, but overall sustainability. So the program stays relevant and innovative and all that good stuff. Okay, Stacey, what's the difference? This one's another trivia question. Ooh, <laughs> Are we on Jeopardy? Yeah, it's a Jeopardy. Well, let's see. It. No, no, because I'd have to change it and you'd have to answer it. Oh, that's true. Oh. So let's not do that. Okay, that's too no. confusing. What's the difference between a donation and a sponsorship? Uh, well, so uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, so sponsorships, usually there is some kind of uh, material benefit the sponsor receives, right? So you'll see organizations that say, oh, you get a table with your sponsorship or this many seats to this event, this kind of recognition and and signage and publicity. And because of it, so it's really a much different kind of transaction than a straightforward donation, right? Right, That is just truly, purely philanthropic. Just, I want to give you a gift because I want to give you a gift with no expectation of something in return. Whereas sponsorship is very much sort of like that quid pro quo, this for that, like, we'll give you money if you give us this nonprofit in exchange for that. And that also changes, as you know, um, sort of tax deductions and what people can take as a result, you know, because if you're getting a table attend to an event, you know, you're not, you're not able to write off that full amount of sponsorship. And I think that's why you see most sponsorships and companies come out of, uh, right. Their marketing budgets or something that it's very, it's kind of a different pot of money than where they like grant money or give donations. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause, uh, like the, sometimes, well, it used to be, you can't do it anymore. It used to be people would ask if they could play out of two different budgets, right. They yeah. want the, the sponsorship piece to come out of one, the tickets to come out of one and any sort of charitable donation they wanted to come from the foundation or, or from the community relations budget or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only caveat, I don't, I, you know, not knowing, I'm sure this was a pretty straightforward question, but there I've sort of seen um, this trend where a lot of organizations are starting to do stuff like, Oh, sponsor a child or sponsor this pet. And it's more just a, um, it's more of a marketing thing versus an actual sponsorship sort of tie. So they're using the word sponsor, but it really isn't, it is a donation. So I think it's just being, you know, clear if you're one of those organizations doing something like that, that's still different. Like if you're saying sponsor and it's just to get a donation for whatever program, um, but the person's not getting anything in return, it's still an outright donation even if you're calling it a sponsorship. Yeah. And it's so it's funny. We got a catalog in the mail the other day um, yeah. and it says you can adopt a tiger for a hundred dollars. And Woo-hoo. my six-year-old daughter found this and she Ooh. wanted to adopt Probably a tiger. Excited, yeah. I had a very long conversation with her about like, that doesn't really mean you get to bring a tiger home. <laughs> Like a hundred dollars isn't going to pay for much. And I'm like explaining the fine print at the bottom, but brings up the point that if, if you are, if you're using that in some sort of materials, if you're saying that you're going to sponsor a child or something like that, you also have to have in there that, you know, your donation is actually going to be unrestricted, that we aren't necessarily going to spend the money that you gave us on the child that's in the picture or the tiger that's in the picture. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
it can get it can get tricky if yeah. you're not careful, especially if you have to explain it to a six year old. Oh God! So so here's another wrinkle, and this is this is an interesting so another one where it's a simple question. And we're going to make it super complicated. Woo-hoo. So the Tax Cut and Jobs Act that passed at the end of 2017, right? That changed some of the rule. One of the things that it changed is it doubled the standard deduction, right? So right. so the number of people that are able to take a a tax deduction, basically the the number of people that are able to Use to give the, enough, right? Yeah, to actually the, to get a deduction. Right, you yeah. have to, you know, because of the threshold, you're going to end up using the standard deduction because even if you itemize, you're not going to get anywhere near what the value of the standard deduction is. Yeah. So that changed the economics for an awful lot of people. The percentage went from, I think, 20% down to, I think, 6 was the yes. last one that they looked at. So so the number of people that actually can take a deduction is going to, has dropped significantly. And when you're talking about businesses, specifically when you're coming into this sort of sponsorship realm, um, the the donation, so say the company's an S-corp, yes. right, which means that they're passing through all of the donation. Any contributions get passed through to the individuals that are owners of the S-corp. Yes. If, if it's a sponsorship, believe it or not, it then becomes 100% deductible as a marketing expense. Yes. So you actually get to cut the profit by whatever the value of the sponsorship it is because you're, you're getting something in return, so you're paying for something, which means you can deduct it. Interesting. Um, if it's a charitable deduction, um, and you're taking the you're taking the standard deduction that the charitable donation actually might not help you at all. So in some cases, and, and this goes totally counter to the kinds of things that we've been talking about for the last 20 years, which is when you would say to a charity, like, don't why don't make it too complicated when you're doing an event. Don't create these giant sponsors. I think it was like two weeks ago we had this exact yes. same conversation. Don't make these giant complicated sponsorship packages because the corporations don't want it. There are now are legitimate tax reasons that you might want complicated sponsorship things because it's going to be better for the company to take the sponsorship than it is for them to take the charitable deduction. That's a really good point. And I'm thinking about it as, you know, my business is an S Corp. And I know I, you know, the things that I classify under marketing and like client relations or whatever that is, whatever buckets I'm putting it under, it's a lot better for me as a business than it is like just doing the charitable, you know, how I track it and say, oh, charitable donation through my S-Corp. Because, right, I'm not getting, you know, if there's not enough of that, I I can't write it off. Yeah, I mean, and and you don't know, like most most charities, most nonprofits aren't going to really know what the tax situation is for the person that's giving them the donation. So it's, it's again, the time that you want to have a conversation with them, which I think what we said about the sponsorship too, is to have a, a clear conversation with the person that you're receiving money from to say, what makes the most sense for you? So, you know, do you, if we give you this as a sponsorship, does that make more sense for you from a tax perspective? And and the person you're talking to in the marketing Probably department has no clue, have no idea whatsoever, <laughs> no. right? So you know, what, like, do we really want to get the tax department yeah. involved? Right? Yeah. So yeah. so yeah, so it could be a little bit more complicated, but but it does it did add a new wrinkle that is sort of counter to everything that we've talked about over the last twenty years about these. God, it's crazy how things change. Yeah. Simple question though. That's a wrap. We have finished another episode of Nonprofit Everything, and we wouldn't be here without you, our listeners. So thank you for joining us. As you know, you can always send us a question and you can always check out our host, Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, which uh, is is great for sort of underwriting this this uh, time and, and support for the community. So we hope you're enjoying it. And uh, we encourage you to just you know, spread the word, share this with a friend, share this with a board member, a colleague that has a question too, because the more the merrier, as they say. (laughs) 